Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show with me, Nobel Prize winning broadcaster Adam Bayfield and alongside me tonight, for God's sake, stop looking out the window, pay attention when I'm talking, <laughs> it's Tony Kerr. Evening. How's it going this week, Tony? Uh, not too bad, yeah, not too bad. It's good to have I'm you happy. here, I mean, I, I think we've, uh, it seems that we've, we've been able to get your nose out of a book long enough to drag you into the studio to do one of these. So, oh, uh, the right little bookworm you are, aren't you? I love it, mate. And love uh, it. like the whole country, I think, you've been reading Kevin Peterson's book this week, haven't you? I mean, you have read it, Tone, haven't you? You, you? you promised me that you were going to read it. I can see you've got the book there. Well, I've got, I mean, I've proved that I've got the book. Uh, and that's half the battle, isn't it? <laughs> if school taught me anything, you know, if you had the book, that was as good as reading it, right? <laughs> Uh, Even in this is taking me back because this is like trying to pass an exam, <laughs> answer questions about like a Shakespeare text when you've just haven't read the text. All you've done is read the York Notes, which is essentially the equivalent of what I've done. Well, now, I, uh, I've read selected chapters. <laughs> you've read Spark Notes <laughs> online, done some weird quizzes at no, the I've same re- time. I've read, I've read portions of it. Uh, you know, I arrived at the studio tonight to find you in here already, just frantically skim reading, <laughs> yeah, trying to just thing. get and just. Anything soaking in. Even yeah. in sixth form at school, reading homework was no homework. But it reached a point where, like, I was doing an English literature A level, and still I saw reading homework as no homework. But then it would get to, you know, the the lesson, and we were supposed to read like the whole of As I Lay Dying or something complicated like that. And then, you know, the teacher would be like, "So, what did you think about?" This passage, and you just see everyone look down at their book. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, hands would slowly start to go up. Well, you can yeah. give me a grade at the end of this podcast if you like. How well I, how well I bluffed it. <laughs> so you haven't read the book. I read, I read bits of the book. You've read bits of the book. Perhaps bits that have been on, quoted on Crick Info or in the yeah. Daily Telegraph. No, or... I've read. I've read some of it. You know, I've just read the key. I read the, the chapters that that. St- kind of stood out for me i mean for new listeners tony is famously um what's the word i can use to be charitable unlettered not a big reader not a big reader of books i like reading signs and <laughs> magazines signs. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like reading signs you ignore most of them on the road the thing like this is the thing though isn't it because you do read a lot everyone reads all the time they just read stuff on the internet so yeah. i don't know what it is about books that turns you off i think it Essentially, you're still 12 years old, aren't you? Because yeah, like, whenever I mention to you a, a novel that I've been reading or something, you're like, nerd, nerd alert, <laughs> books are for dicks. Books are for deuces, or have you <laughs> yeah. said? There you go. There's a reference. I have read it. Deuce. Books are for doers. Oh, doers. Doers. Oh, do- you're such do-us. a doers at times. This, this whole podcast is just going to be us saying the word doers do over and over again. Um, I mean, I gave you a, a novel about cricket, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> 
what was it called 24 for three i think i gave you that what 18 months ago and it's about 120 pages long have you read that yet tone well priorities overtook you know this became priority number one so i didn't get a chance <laughs> to do that either yeah but what you don't know is i actually proofread the book for kp okay uh, and read all the drafts and stuff and actually ghost wrote it for him oh wow yeah I'm surprised you haven't mentioned that on yeah. any preceding episode. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leak it, you know. Yeah, what's quite funny is we both brought in the the book, haven't we? Tonight, I mean, as if to prove to each other. I mean, you didn't need to prove to me that you, you'd got it and read it. I, I believed you, but I felt like I did need to prove it. But it does look like now, you know, there are some people kind of uh, outside the studio. It looks like we're kind of recording the audio book of it, <laughs> uh, and I thought that'd be quite a good idea because I was kind of anticipating just how many uh, times we'd hear you do your KP impression tonight. <laughs> I can't really could do, you do a KP. Could you do the whole thing in a broken KP impression? I can't do KP because he's got a very, a very, I was going to say a very specific voice, but I suppose everyone does. But <laughs> KP doesn't really fit into my kind of generic South African impression. Like, yeah. like, like if I were to attempt it, it would be, there's an old joke about the mother watching a column of soldiers pass by. <laughs> that's, that's not really that what, sound like what KP. KP sounds like, is it? It is amazing, though, isn't it? It never ceases to amaze me that, you know, you see KP on the front of the boat, you open it, you read it, but you can just hear his voice. You know, that's an amazing thing, isn't it, about about the language. That humans can do. You've been watching too much Human Universe, (laughs) Bloody amazing. Just amazing. Just a line of ghosts going back 10,000 generations. It has been a a crazy week, hasn't it? And as usual, we're, we're late to the party on this one. Very late. Fashionably late. I mean, the problem was, you know, we were all set up to record last week, but then I, I, I came down with tonsillitis. That you did. I'm all better now, Tone. Thanks for asking. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I've forgotten about that. But I had, I had the whole week off work, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't really come out to the studio um, and record a podcast when I'm not turning up at work. Plus, I also didn't really feel well enough. But it was weird because, I mean, you claim that you've had tonsillitis before, but I don't believe you. Mm, I have. Uh, because tonsillitis is really, really horrible. But I haven't had it for eight, nine years. But whenever I've had it before, it's always, you know, because obviously it's real throat pain. It's That's what it is. And whenever, whenever I've had it before, it really, like, affects my voice. It changes my voice. And so you sort of start talking like this, <laughs> like Barry Cowan talking. Right, all right, Marcus. Let's start talking like that. But this time that didn't happen. Like, my throat was really painful, uh, but my voice stayed the same. Which is a difficult thing than when my boss phoned midway through the week just to see how I was doing. And I was like, answered it like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Thing is, I have had tonsillitis before. No, I had, well, I know, I had all the throat stuff. Gunk. Well, yeah, all the that horrible stuff. But I just didn't get the fever or whatever you call the it. Illness. The associated yeah. fatigue and hurt and headaches and stuff so in my mind that isn't tonsillitis because that's really what's you know that well, is that's annoying, the problem it, it inhibited my ability to eat nice food a tickly throat is what i think i'd, I'd call that tony we need to talk about kevin see what i did there hmm. that was another book wasn't it we need to talk about kevin you know just books <laughs> blank uh, no i've heard of that one yeah, it's okay. a movie as well isn't it uh, yeah, movie with Tilda Swinton, aka Gordon <laughs> <Colin> McRae. <laughs> we will put that. We'll put a side by side comparison that for uh, for your Se- your amusement later. <laughs> Separated at birth, <laughs> Tilda Swinton and London correspondent Gordon McRae. 
not London correspondent anymore, is he? No. We've, he's been fired from his role as London correspondent. <laughs> he doesn't do any work. <laughs> so we haven't had him on the show for about two years. And he's been relocated. He's now New York correspondent Gordon McRae. We should get him on the show soon. Emerging markets Gordon McRae. But anyway, uh, well, yeah, that was a book. We need to talk about Kevin. And this tone, this is a book. Kevin Peterson, KP, the autobiography. I'm holding it up. Me so too. You can see it. <laughs> we've, we've both got it. This looks really weird to, to the people <laughs> outside there. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's something to take issue with immediately. Uh, there was a good article by Barney Roney in The Guardian in which he said it's a book that uh, runs into trouble as far as the third word of the title <laughs> because it's not an autobiography. It's a, it's a rant. It's a tract. But anyway, I mean, yeah, this has obviously been a, a huge story in the cricketing world, particularly in England. Over the past couple of weeks, Kevin Peterson publishing his book, um, the confidentiality agreement that uh, he signed with the ECB uh, when he was uh, sacked back in February, expired and his book came out with a a load of fanfare. Um, And yeah, obviously, people are probably going to be familiar with the main points, but the the key things really are that, that number one he goes after Andy Flower in a big way. I'm just filling you in tone as well as someone who hasn't read the book. Uh, he describes him as a bad coach, a, a negative presence, a mood hoover, contagiously sour, infectiously dour, which sounds like a Morrissey lyric, uh, but is actually what Peterson thinks about it. I'll take him. you a few notes when I write my autobiography, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> when Rubicon's <laughs> confidentiality agreement expires. That's how you I'm describe it. coming after you, mate. <laughs> Um, Peterson also goes after Matt Pryor at least as much, if not more he describes him as backstabbing horrendous, bad for the environment uh, and talks a lot about how Pryor used to insist on being called the big cheese and would refer to himself in the third person (laughs) the big cheese went out last night Uh, Peterson also claims that there was a bullying culture within the England team and particularly on the field that there was a clique of bowlers uh, who would bully fielders when they when they dropped a catch or misfielded. And he continually talks as well throughout the book about how upsetting he found that uh, parody Twitter account, that KP Genius Twitter account, which uh, which went online in the summer of 2012. Uh, and he was told that it was being run from inside the dressing room. And he, he, he talks a lot about how deeply upset he was by that. Um, so it was a pretty uh, pretty salacious volume this time, a pretty, uh, pretty controversial uh, and meaty text there's a lot to it uh, now the day that the first quotes from the book emerged a four-page ecb dossier appeared on crick info presumably had been leaked by someone within the ecb uh, and this detailed all of peterson's alleged crimes in australia pretty heinous most of them including that he looked out of a window while andy flower was talking to the team uh, that he whistled in the dressing room after getting out in sydney so i think you know england cricket fans Finally, understanding why the ECB took the line that they did, because, yeah, pretty unforgivable to whistle, really. Now, I've got a lot of opinions on this tone. Uh, when we, when we, earlier in the week, when we, when we were talking about what we were going to do on this episode, I did suggest that you just bring a Game Boy or something, because uh, this could turn into a, just one long monologue, one long rant from me. Uh, but, uh, you know, perhaps we should get your take on it all, no, first well, of all. I'll just I'll pitch in. I'm happy to just I'm happy to go with the flow. Well, I mean, it, it has been, it's been a chaotic couple of weeks, this, hasn't it? It's been a, a... I mean, it's hard to remember a more kind of crazy 24 hours in English cricket, really, in terms of just the nonsense. I mean, you know, English cricket's got a long history of nonsense. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, you know, 
the, the first kind of noises and the first idea of what KP was saying, then the, the guff from the ECB leaking. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty astonishing 24 hours. Hard yeah. to keep, it was difficult to keep up with. It was more than 24 hours as well because it's, you know, it's still going now. Idiots like us are still talking about it. And if you go on Twitter... There's, there's, there's still people talking about it, but it is, all it's, the time. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's. I mean, it, we'll look back on it in a couple of weeks and think, "What the bloody hell is all that about?" <laughs> We're really? about a couple of weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll look back on it in, I don't know, two days. <laughs> look back at this at the weekend. I think, well, <laughs> but uh, in a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there, there was just there's so many. There were so many things. Well, the first of all, there, there was the accusations that. Uh, Peterson had what, denied interviews or something, and then he was basically on every program, did every interview going. Uh, so he was pretty oh, overexposed. There was yeah, there was the hilarious Graham Norton stuff. There was a, there was a bit on you know we, he did a piece with Adrian Charles on Five Live and a kind of a funny thing with with Aggers in that. I mean you know he's claimed Aggers, doesn't he? We'll, we'll talk about that later on. As well, well, no, go on. you may as well. Talk well, about no, it. just that you know Jonathan Aggie berated on Twitter over various things. I think uh, subsequently left. Yeah, he quit Twitter. Didn't quit Twitter, and it was at one stage embroiled in a back and forth with Peterson's wife, Jess from Liberty X. Yeah, uh, which is—I mean, that, you know, I think you, you made reference at the time. What a bizarre kind of what a bizarre couple of people to be going at it on yeah. Twitter, and then and then all the stuff. This is a complete side issue, but all the stuff like Agnew coming back on Twitter and saying, "Oh, he's, he's going to be launching some new social network that, that doesn't exist." <laughs> I didn't see this. Did you see this? <laughs> Hang on, I'm trying to find it. It's called like Rico or something. Hang on, let me try to find it. Well, were you, while you're looking for yeah. it, I'll vamp for a second. I mean, it was a... <laughs> I'll try and fill the dead air. It was a, a, a very bizarre Wednesday night. I was just tucked up in bed, suffering with tonsillitis, reading an argument between Jonathan Agnew and Jess from Liberty X. It is a very bizarre world we live in. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah, so Agnew Twit... Twit Twitter. Uh, Agnew quit Twitter, then came back a couple of days later and started going off about something called Kicker.com, which apparently is launching in November, which leaves behind the hideous side of Twitter. Will be fun, according to Agnew. So it's like, <laughs> bizarre. Uh, there's no reference to it anywhere online. The website doesn't exist. It's very strange. And then someone says, tell us more about Kicker. And Jonathan Agnew says, will be huge, serious stars from all sports. I yeah, I mean, it's got about as much chance of being huge as What's he talking this about? podcast. But he also retweeted someone say, just tweeting at him saying, I thought you had left Twitter. The f*** are you doing here? <laughs> uh, what a bizarre week. It has been a bizarre, it's been a, a turbulent couple of weeks. I mean, we, we sort of knew it would be. When, when, when it all kicked off in February, both Peterson and the UCB were kind of saying, well, look, there's confidentiality agreements signed, we can't say anything now, but we will in October. We knew that this would happen. I mean, even so, it has been pretty extraordinary. I think Peterson's PR people have earned their corn in the last couple of weeks because I'm sure he's sold a lot of books. But we were expecting this, as I say. We were expecting that eventually this would all come out in the wash. So for you, Tone, you know, now that it has and you're, and you're, you're looking at the grime at the back of the washing machine, you know... Peering into the abyss. What do you make of it? I don't know, really. You keep looking at the book. I don't know. I'm just looking. I'm just trying to get some inspiration. Just, just think, putting my hand on it. Oh. it. Just started reading the back cover. <laughs> so it's all going to be on there. Oh, yeah, that's where the answers are. Oh, that's good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you feel when you've got a book in your hand that you have to kind of... But as you talk about it, you have to kind of leaf through the pages. I wish, wish you hadn't brought that. <laughs> You've left your iPad at home. It's really, distra- yeah. it's really distracting. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of lots of conclusions have been drawn on the, you know on this that uh, you know a golden generation ready for English cricket, a winning team has been tarnished forever. Uh, the you know the reputations have been trashed, and you know I think there would be a lot of people who'll take KP's word for you know for gospel. So in that sense, you know the reputations of prior Strauss Flower will never be the same, will they? Because they'll always be. You know, there'll always be jokes about the, the big cheese and, and all of that stuff. <clears throat> so that's never going to go away now. Yeah, I, I think I take quite a balanced view on it. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I take quite a unique and uh, spectacularly interesting view on it. I'm a different angle here, Adam. Uh, you know, I, on one side, I'm just like waving the book, you know. You just keep brandishing that book at me. <laughs> uh, you know, on one side... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like so, I'm selling it. Go on. Uh, no, I'll put it down now. I'm trying to forget about it. Uh, yeah, no, no. Definitely on one side, you know, I want to believe that Kevin Peterson is the best batsman England has had in my lifetime, and I do believe that. Uh, I've got a, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy for him on, on that front because what what is patently clear about this is the awful management from you know, yeah, you know, I like Andy Farrow a lot, and I said it in the past that I do like him, uh, but clearly that relationship didn't work and it needed to uh, and both parties should have should have, I mean I, you know who knows really what went on but both parties should have been more well if you read the book you who really knows what happened here <laughs> uh, you know clearly both parties should have been managed from above and you know the the, the people who come out this looking worse probably are the ECB well yeah absolutely oh, right. I mean, that, that's not difficult for them you know they yeah. could they could botch anything really at this at this point I'm getting quite annoyed with uh, lots of aspects of this, but I'm getting annoyed with people, particularly with a lot of cricket journalists and also people with the, within the ECB, set, you know, saying, "Oh, let's just—we all just need to move on now. It's time to move on." You know, he's brought his book out. Okay, fair enough. Time to move on. You know, as I say, so many journalists saying that, but there are things in the book that need to be addressed. Like you can't just say, "Oh, he's brought his book out. Fine. You know, let's move on." And that does seem to be what the vast majority of the cricket media want to do. People like Mike Selvey, Derek Pringle, Paul Newman at the Daily Mail. Now, th- there is a, a collective failure to address the issues that Peterson raises. Whether or not he's right, they're not prepared to address them. Uh, and this is quite troubling to me because yeah. it does suggest that there's an, an unhealthy relationship between the ECB and the journalists who are supposed to be reporting on them. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, there's been a lot a lot of criticism on Twitter of those kind of that cosy ECB journalist club uh and the, yeah they, they haven't done their job in the past couple of weeks at all well i read mike selvey's article in the guardian a couple of days ago and I almost exploded with rage you know i mean he, he does make some good points but he's just not prepared to countenance the idea that peterson might have some legitimate grievances and everybody knows that selvey doesn't like peterson personally and is friends with andy flower and other people at the ecb and that's just not a good situation i don't think but anyway i mean that that aside i mean shall i do you want me to give you my my actual book review mm. tone um because you know it's it's quite a strange book in a lot of ways it it's extremely well, you've re- read a few books so you know you, you know <laughs> oh i've read some books boy <laughs> you know where you're coming from on this um no for sure i mean it's it's extremely readable actually i i you know i was ill so i had a lot of time <laughs> but i i rattled through it in uh, just over a day um, and you know David Walsh is the ghostwriter, and I think he's done a really good job because it, it does it does move along very quickly. It's it's very enjoyable to read. It's quite unfocused in places. In others, it's very repetitive. 
you know, he, he hammers home certain points again and again to, to an extent which is deeply tedious. You know, the number of times that he talks about how brilliant the IPL is, he'll be talking about something completely irrelevant and then just go, oh, by the way, the IPL is brilliant. Uh, and the number of times he says something along the lines of, I know everyone thinks I'm arrogant, but I'm really not. I know everyone thinks I, I like to party and go out and have a good time, but I don't. I just like to go to bed at 9pm. Says that about 15 times a chapter. So, you know, but that's, that's, that's just the book as a book. But in terms of what he actually raises, the issues that he raises, as you know, as listeners know, I, I have always been in the Peterson camp since February. And I went into the book very firmly in the camp, you know, perhaps even more entrenched than I have been before, you know, because of that dossier being leaked and everything. But by the time I got to the end of the book, I was wavering just a little bit because, to my mind, Peterson doesn't come out of this book very well. He comes across as very bitter, which I think is probably fair enough, but nonetheless doesn't necessarily make you like him very much. Um, And he also comes across as astonishingly self-absorbed. You know, I I dislike that Selvia article very much but he did use one word which i thought was good which is he described peterson as heliocentric and i think that's right he almost never touches on anything in the book that he might have enjoyed about playing cricket for england and if he does it's about great innings that he played or great moments that he had it's never about team successes that 2011 whitewash of india gets a paragraph and he just mentions the 200s that he scored but then again as you, you know as you said before it isn't an autobiography is it? it's a rant. Well, i mean it says it's an autobiography yeah okay Clearly, if he is as bitter as you know a lot of this suggests, then it's going to be difficult to see see the good stuff. And you know, if there's enough, if there's this much like, anger and resentment, then you know that's probably enough. You, you know, he, he's probably not going to write want to write too much about you know other things. No, no, I, I completely understand why that's the case, but I'm not sure it helps his cause very much because. A lot of people already thought he was very self-absorbed and arrogant and not interested in the team, perhaps not that interested in, you know, playing for England, um, you know, questions over his South African roots and everything. And it doesn't help his cause that he doesn't talk about anything that England did well, anything he enjoyed about playing for England, um, any of the successes that they had. Or if he does, it's only about oh how well he played. And you know, towards the end of the book, he mentions Paul Collingwood and describes him as my greatest batting partner. But that's the one and only time that Collingwood's mentioned in the entire book. You just think, well, if he was your greatest batting partner, why haven't you, you know, maybe talked about some of the great partnerships and some of the match-winning performances that you put in together? So it is, it is just a 300-page rant about, you know, about the ways he was mistreated, the, the grievances that he has. And as I say, I can understand why that's the case. It is the only reason that he's written the book, because he does have an enormous axe to grind, and fair enough. But as I say, I'm not sure it helps his cause very much. It doesn't help to get him sympathy either from people who didn't have very much sympathy to begin with, but also from people like me who who did. It sort of turned me off him a little bit. Um, Especially because, to be honest, quite a lot of his grievances aren't up to much, I don't think. I mean, he devotes a lot of time to talking about how upset he was that he wasn't allowed to fly home from the West Indies for two days in the middle of a tour in 2009. And perhaps they should have allowed him to go. Like, basically, it was just after the whole... Peter Moore's thing had happened and he you know, lost the captaincy. He was, I'm sure, feeling very fragile. And he just wanted, there was a bit of a break between test matches and he wanted to go home for two days to see his family. And he said, oh, he should have been treated differently in that case because of everything that had happened. And I can understand where he was coming from. I can also understand why Andrew Strauss didn't want him to do that because Strauss was new in the job and he didn't want to be seen to be allowing Peterson you know, um, to operate under different rules. 
Um, but even if that was a mistake by Strauss, even if Peterson should have been allowed to go, it does seem a bit odd that he's still fixated on it five years later, that it's still this kind of burning anger within him. So that's one big thing that he talks about. He complains that on that last Ashes tour, he was made to feel like an outsider, even though he acknowledges that Flower asked him to work with the young players and with the bowlers in the nets and stuff. And he says, yeah, sure, he asked me to do that, but you know, he didn't ask me to do anything else. And you just think, well, he was trying to include you in some way. I mean, the, 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 big, the, the big sort of uh, central theme of the book is Andy Flower and how much Peterson dislikes him. You know, it just seems clear that he took against Flower from a very early stage and, and, and vice versa, I think. But Peterson talks about so much about he d- didn't think he was a good coach. I mean, there's, there's literally a, a line in it um, saying, oh, I can, I can tell you're not a good coach because. And, I, you know, I think Peterson has a point in terms of how severe Flower could be. And certainly towards the end of his tenure, you know, it didn't seem like the England players were enjoying themselves very much. But to read the book, you would come away from it thinking that Flower had presided over the worst run in England's history, when in actual fact he took them to number one in the world, won a World 2020. But Peterson's talking about him as though he was a complete nightmare and a a deeply negative um, influence on the dressing room. And that, again, doesn't help Peterson's cause, I don't think. If he's not even prepared to acknowledge that he did some good things, it makes you question whether he's, you know, he's really... Being yeah, he's so or, blinkered and yeah. so kind of focused on his own bitterness. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, undoubtedly Flair has been a great coach for England and, as you say, has brought, in many respects, unprecedented success to the England team. But then again, it's, it's tough to ignore what happened in Australia last winter when everything collapsed in such a spectacular way that maybe maybe Flair's methods you know, had a you know, time limit on them. Maybe, maybe he pushed in such a direction that eventually it was going to crack in, in some regard. Yeah, I agree with that. And obviously that, that pretty much was the worst tour in England's history, certainly in our lifetimes. Um, the only thing I would say is that Duncan Fletcher, his reign ended with a 5-0 whitewash in Australia. But as time goes on, while you still remember that, it doesn't colour your entire view of that, that Fletcher period. And Peterson talks about how brilliant Duncan Fletcher was. And, and no one would say Fletcher was a, a, a bad coach for England just on the basis of that. It's a little bit different because... You know, that that was a humiliating whitewash, but nothing on the scale of what happened um, last winter just because of the, the different sort of um, level of the teams that, that were involved. I mean, my reading of it, and, you know, I thought this before, but reading the book sort of supports it a bit, I think, is that, um, you know, Flower and Strauss were an extremely effective partnership. And I think Strauss was a sort of moderating influence on Flower. And perhaps Strauss was a bit more, you know, a bit better at communicating with the players and communicating Flower's ideas to the players, and perhaps was a bit of a kind of uh, a, a lighter element in the partnership as well. I think selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Once Strauss retired and Cook took over, there was a bit of a vacuum there where Strauss used to be. Cook wasn't a big enough personality or or a, a strong enough leader to assume that role and you know, there was a vacuum and I think Flower expanded to fill most of it. A, big, a bigger gap between the coach and the, the team. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, you know, the, those kind of more problematic aspects, those, those harsher aspects of Flower's style perhaps took over. And that might explain why things started to unravel for England pretty much immediately after Strauss left. But even so, I, you know, I do think that Peterson's criticism of Flower is over the top in the book. Clearly, there was a personality clash between the two men, and that has affected his assessment of Flower as a coach. And, you, you know, you do wonder, because he, another thing he talks about in the book is how brilliant Gary Kirsten is, how you know, he thinks he's the best coach in the world, that they have an amazing relationship. But, you know, their relationship has produced a bottom-place finish at Delhi Daredevils this year. So Gary Kirsten might be a great coach, he might be a great man, and obviously they got on really well, but it doesn't necessarily translate into results on the pitch, but Peterson doesn't seem to be too worried about that. That sort of thing, the, the, the scale of the criticism of Flower and Pryor and others took me a little bit by surprise and made me a, somewhat less sympathetic to what Peterson was trying to say. I was gonna, but I mean, I guess that is entirely in keeping with his character, isn't it? It's, you know, he is not one to do things by halves. You know, as a cricketer, that's just how he operates. So I, I don't think we should be surprised, maybe. that. And, you know, it could be a marketing strategy yeah, I mean, as well in that the you know the more sensational it is the more copies he's going to shift i mean he does definitely have some legitimate grievances there's absolutely no doubt about that that parody twitter account being a prime example i can understand why he was upset about that you know the, the ecb still maintained that the england players had nothing to do with that twitter account but i i think it's probably quite difficult to think that you know that at least Stuart broad wasn't involved in that you know it it seems like this guy, Richard Bailey, who is the one who set it up, is pretty good friends with Broad. You know, Peterson talks about other pictures that have you know been on Twitter before and stuff of the, the two of them together. It does seem like Broad, at the very least, knew what was going on and was possibly contributing this is to the This the centre of all the, the, the Agnew stuff, wasn't it, about passwords and who, who had access to what and all that stuff. Well, this was the argument was um, Jess from WBX. <laughs> was saying that the England that the England players knew the password for the account and Agnew was saying doesn't mean they were tweeting and she was saying, Well why would you need the password if you weren't gonna tweet? I mean that that's for me, that's one of the the, the I'm not really like a, that much of a drama creep, but the, the more interesting aspects of it are the the mismanagement of a dressing room really. The, the, it strikes me that the, the the parody account I mean stupid stupid as it was, you know, for, for any other England player to be involved in it. And as you say, we don't know quite the extent of it but it's at least broad and probably others you know it's pretty silly on on their part you know they must have known the sort of person kp was you know they'd spent years playing cricket with him in the same dressing room to kind of you know you see that where where jokes go too far and it's it's yeah as funny as it was was as amusing well, not really funny but you know as kind of amusing an idea and a, a kind of execution as it was uh you know they should have been more slightly more sensitive i think Absolutely. And I, I can completely understand why 
Peterson was so upset about it. Not necessarily about the fact that they were making fun of him, but about the fact that they were making fun of him publicly and nothing happened to them. Whereas he called Andrew Strauss a dous on a private message and he was, you know, cast out of the team and had to be reintegrated back in. You know, the difference in the treatment of Broad and Peterson is astonishing. And like you say, it's it's mismanagement on a on a catastrophic level, really. And it does suggest that they were they were biased against Peterson, that they they were predisposed to um, treat Peterson differently to how they would treat anybody else. It does seem like that summer of 2012 was just a bad time for the England dressing room, and you know that that was when uh, Peterson watched an IPL game in the dressing room rather than watching the match that was going on, and that really upset a lot of his teammates. And I can understand that as well. And to be fair, Peterson does say that he accepts that that was a big mistake. That possibly was one of the things that caused them to set up this Twitter account. I don't know. But yeah, it seemed like that was a very bad time for the dressing room. But the the, the mismanagement that followed, you know, if Broad had been censured as well or Peterson hadn't been censured as severely, if they'd been treated the same, then I think Peterson may not have felt so much resentment going forward people are sensitive people are sensitive beings uh, and you know particularly when you're you're in a team situation if you're if you're kind of cast out and you're yeah you're isolated and and in some respects humiliated you know, if it, if you know if it's part of it if it's an in joke and it's a shared joke then that's yeah it's obviously that's the opposite it that's like that's kind of team building and and like camaraderie building but when it's not shared it's yeah it's pretty destructive that i think is is a, is a very legitimate grievance that Peterson has. I mean, a, another one is this thing about on-field bullying, um, which he's talked about a lot in interviews around the book as well. Um, Ricky Ponting's come out and said that he, he agrees with that. And um, Graham Smith, I think. Uh, Graham Smith as well. Yeah. Ajmal Shazad, uh, who Mike Atherton described as a veteran of one test. The, the bowlers, particularly Swan and Broad, uh, would scream at fielders if they, if they made a mistake. Um, and that the, the fielders, if they dropped a catch, would have to go up to the bowlers in the dressing room afterwards and apologise. I, mean, I, I find that extraordinary. I can't believe that. I, can't, I cannot, simply cannot believe that. Well, I mean, no one's really denied it. I mean, Swan has denied the, the general idea, but no one's specifically denied that people have had to apologise. Ajmal Shazad said that uh, Trot came up to him, in, I think, in that one test that Shazad played. Trot dropped a catch off his bowling and then came up to him in the dressing room afterwards and apologised. And Shazad said he was just astonished. I find it weird though because if you do, if you're playing cricket and you drop a catch, you know, you do go up to the bowler and say, you know, that's kind of like a natural. You go, like, oh, like sorry about that. That was, you know. Likewise, if the bowler, you know, chucks down an absolute, you know, kind of rotten over, you know, the bowler is like, yeah, as a bowler, you're like, you know, you, you wear this, <laughs> you know, you're likely to kind of just put your hand up and go, Cut, like that was. Sorry, yeah, that's, that was garbage. Yeah, that, that's uh, basically my whole cricket career. Just, <laughs> just apologising. Sorry. So many after every word. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry about this. But you know, I, that seems, I don't know, but if it was like some kind of dictate from on top or if it was like senior players suggesting you know, it was some like ceremonial apology. Yeah. No, like that's, that's just ludicrous. Yeah, like I think you would, you, you would and you do naturally apologise if you make a mistake in anything. I mean, as British people, we apologise if someone stands on our feet, don't we? But yeah, you, you do on the cricket field. You do, if you drop a catch, you do apologise on the field. Maybe as you're coming off the yeah, field. Yeah, if, 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 if I play cricket and, you know, feeling opposite side to, to what if I dropped a catch, you know, get back in the dressing room, you'd be like, oh, like, 
so-and-so. Sorry about that. No, absolutely. Yeah, make some joke about but, it. But then for the bowler to demand yeah. an apology... I mean, that's ludicrous. Different. And, you know, of all the players, you know, Stuart Broad isn't really in a position to demand anything, is he? In, at, in periods, he's been excellent, and he is a, he's a cracking player. But he's had long periods of, of play where he's been absolutely awful, where he's been like one of the worst performing members of the team. Sure, so, and it's just a very dangerous yeah. um, precedent to set because if, as a bowler, you're absolutely livid every time someone drops a catch and you think it's unacceptable then you'd better never drop a catch. Yeah. And I mean, Graham Swan didn't drop many catches, but he did drop some. And, you know, Peterson says that Pryor and, and Broad, you know, wouldn't have a go at Swan if he dropped a catch or, or vice versa. And that's a really dangerous situation, I think, for in terms of team harmony. Yeah. So that's another thing that I think is is very... It's um, troubling. It's troubling. Very accurate. It, yeah, it's troubling because it, yeah, it definitely doesn't reflect well on... on on those those players in the team uh it is a really difficult one you know when you play kind of school cricket you know there is always the one guy who's absolutely useless at fielding and you you know if the ball goes to them in the field or you know catch goes to them you think like oh it's really annoying you know it was me. <laughs> that wasn't always you no, i'm joking it was, it was cool it was really <laughs> but you know when you're the 11 best cricketers in a country you know, you're there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, players dropping catches. You know, there are there are worse fielders, there are better fielders. But it's kind of it's it's crazy that 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 uh, yeah, a bowler would think that was some kind of personal slight or some kind of like unacceptable thing to do because you know, at any level, everyone makes. You know, no one's no one plays a perfect game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, crazy. You're certainly uh, well within your rights to expect high standards from um, Test match cricketers. As fans, we're furious when when players drop catches. But you know that they're not doing it deliberately and you know that it's not possible for everyone to take every catch that comes their way. Like, it, it's hard. Like, I mean, sometimes it's not hard, but most of the time it is hard. It's a difficult thing. It's one of the see. skills of cricket. Exactly. Yeah. And it, people do make mistakes and no one's perfect, least of all the bowlers that are, that are screaming and shouting at people when they do make mistakes. But, I mean, for someone like Stuart Broad, you know, these kind of accusations, you know, are pre in keeping with how he how yeah, has it, behaved in his surprising. career. You know, it's not, you know, he should be presumably should be pretty embarrassed about some of this stuff. I think this is definitely something that has been going on. There's no doubt about that. I remember it really happening in a big way at the last World Cup. And it, it's, it happened in the last um, in the Ashes series in England last summer as well. You know, I really noticed it then. If it's still going on, it does need to be stamped out because it just puts everyone in a bad temper. And I think that's definitely something that you can, you can say about the England team over the last few years, that it's, it's been bad tempered a lot of the time there's not been a, a very happy atmosphere around the team you know even when they're winning and as a supporter that's you know that's not what you want to see because it it makes even the victories feel not as enjoyable not as sort of uh um i'm just going to use the word enjoyable again not as enjoyable as uh, as they might otherwise be so there's lots of things then that he's saying in this book that i think he's right about and i think he's he's right to bring up the way in which he's done it has turned me off him a little bit. I think he's he's way over the top in some of the personal attacks against Flower and Pryor. And I think, you know, just the, the extent of his self-absorption is incredible. So it has given me a little bit less sympathy for his position. You know, there's a line in the book where he's talking about Matt Pryor being upset after being dropped in Melbourne. And he says, uh, look, cheese. He said, look, cheese. Between my thumb, I'm not going to do it. He says, look, cheese, between my thumb and my forefinger. Can you see it? 
It's the world's tiniest violin playing a sad tune for you. Now go away. <laughs> I think he could be talking about himself there because a lot of the things that he's bringing up are ridiculous. But all of that said, a lot of the things that he's bringing up aren't ridiculous and there's absolutely nothing in here at all that would give the ECB license to take the decision that they took and there's nothing whatsoever in the dossier that was leaked that would give them license to take the decision that they took i mean that dossier is just i mean it's just, it just makes them look like morons doesn't it well i mean who knows what goes on in the ecb I'd, yeah i mean what, what did they say they said it was kind of like briefing notes or something for for lawyers or something like that yeah, but I mean, it, it was you know, it was riddled with spelling mistakes as well wasn't it they couldn't even get names right what they said is that oh no this is just part of you know the the case that we that we've got this is part of what we're we're sort of collecting this all together it was just something for our lawyers to look at but it is pretty telling uh, quite a few people on twitter have found articles written by paul newman and mike selvey three four months back where they said that they knew of a four-page document that the ecb had that cleared everything up that it listed all of peterson's crimes and when people saw that they they'd understand um why they took the decision they did and then this was leaked and I wonder whether the ECB leaked it deliberately, thinking, oh, this will settle the matter. And then on Twitter, immediately, you know, Michael Vaughan just ridiculed it, said he'd never seen so much nonsense in his life. The, the whole public was just like, this is a joke. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the ECB maybe tried to back away from it. And now people like Selvi are saying, oh, no, 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 that's not, you know, that, that's, that's just a tiny part of it. We know there's a lot more. But it's pretty telling that at this stage, you know, we're, we've gone beyond the, the confidentiality agreement expiring. Why, if, if, if they've got more evidence, if they've got a bigger case against Peterson, why are they not bringing it? Well, what do they silent, have to gain by keeping it a secret still? I mean, it's, it's a, they're, they're a bloody mess, aren't they, really? I mean, there's a few things in it, in the dossier, that you could say, oh, well, you know, maybe he shouldn't have done that. Maybe he should have been reprimanded in some small way, like when Andy Flower told them all in in Adelaide that they shouldn't you know that they shouldn't go out they shouldn't go out drinking and then Peterson went out drinking that night but it, but the dossier says Peterson uh, took two young players out drinking with him until late an incident which was front page news in the Adelaide press the following day you know of course everyone on Twitter then finds that picture and one of those young players is Stuart Broad and again the difference in the treatment of those two players is absurd it's a total nonsense, that dossier, and it, it, it makes them look like idiots. So, yeah, while the book has made me like Peterson less, it's given me less sympathy for him as a, as a person in the situation that he's in, the ECB's attempts to put out the fire have nonetheless made me side with him or against them even more, I think. So while, yeah, the, the book, you know, while the book kind of annoyed me in a lot of ways... I probably am even more in Peterson's camp than I was before. It's pretty, yeah. Uh, alongside some of the other events, you know, a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about how you know it's kind of ridiculous that this thing has dominated, uh, you know, the cricket media and has garnered so much interest. Yet other things, other perhaps more, well, more controversial issues. Really, I mean, this is just kind of soap opera stuff, isn't it? In many respects, but things to do with TV rights and and kind of the power you know governance of the game uh, didn't really get much attention when uh when they were kind of settled earlier in the year uh you know it all leaves cricket looking pretty uh, you know on pretty thin ice really credibility wise i mean you, you do wonder is there anyone uh, are any of the kind of governing bodies in cricket really looking after the game in any 
in a trustworthy sense, really, you know. There's no, you know, there aren't a safe pair of hands. Well, I can answer that cricket. question. No, no. they're I mean, not. The ECB, the ICC, India, the IPL. It's all, you know, it's 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 a bunch of crooks tugging it and tugging the sport in all directions, really. And it's another reason why getting rid of Peterson is such a spectacularly bad idea, because for all his faults, and they are many, he is something that the game has in England has got going for it. And, you know, he was on Graham Norton this week. He's the only England cricketer that could possibly appear on Graham Norton. You can't imagine Ian Bell <laughs> sitting alongside Taylor Swift and John Cleary. I'm not sure Taylor Swift really knew what was going on, but you can't imagine <laughs> you can't imagine Joe Root on there with Taylor Swift, can you? But Peterson, you know, has got enough star status to do that. Andrew Flintoff could have done, but he's gone now. A lot of this is probably because of the TV rights, the fact that it's not on terrestrial TV anymore. Not nearly as many people know who plays in the England team anymore. So it does seem bizarre, it does seem oddly self-destructive that they would kind of go out of their way to get rid of their most marketable asset, which it seems like they have. It seems like they've constructed a case against him uh, and we've seen nothing from them or from anyone else to suggest that that's not what's happened. I mean, at the end of the book... Peterson says that he's still... I mean, we we, we, we should do the audio book yeah. on it. It'd be funny if we talked about all of that and then I just went, right, and now, chapter one, <laughs> Fred. So, I mean, spoiler alert, but at the end of the book, Peterson says that he still hopes to play for England again, that, that he still believes that it can happen. Is there a universe tone in which you think that that might be something that could happen? Well, it's, I mean, yeah, it's too. I mean, no, <laughs> it's a short answer, really. I hope so. I'd love to see it. I mean, it, and it, you know, it like you say, the ECB appears to have killed the the golden goose, really, in many ways. But the kind of the only way, you know, the only way to make a bigger splash, really, would be to bring him back. It would be one of the biggest things ever. So, you know, if you were writing a script, you would probably write that in, wouldn't you? It's true. Maybe this is all just a kind of viral, all, yeah. viral marketing campaign for that home series against New Zealand next, <laughs> next summer. The whole thing, because he does say. I mean, this is this is something that possibly hasn't been picked up on enough. It's that Peterson talks about you know just how bad his injury situation was getting, how how much his knee was troubling him in Australia, which is probably one of the reasons why his form dipped in that last year that he was playing. If he hadn't been sacked, he would have needed a major operation which would have kept him out of cricket for nine months. So he still wouldn't be back playing if he hadn't been sacked. So he would have missed the whole summer anyway. He hasn't yet missed a game of uh, cricket for England that he wouldn't have missed anyway, which is actually quite an extraordinary thing. So, you know, maybe that's what's happened. Maybe he has actually just gone away, had the operation. This has all just been one big big marketing campaign and he will come back next year. Uh, It's an interesting theory, Tony. It's interesting, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Put it out on Twitter, see what you get back. Uh, I'll ask Jess from Liberty X what she thinks. Much like an apprentice candidate in the presence of Lord Sir Alan Sugar, this week's episode of the World Cricket Show has been a snivelling, quivering wretch of a thing that could barely string two words together and ought to be thoroughly ashamed of itself. And as such, Tane, I'd like to bring it to an end. Like Mike Selvey and Paul Newman in the presence of Giles Clark. It's been a snivelling... I'll say it again if you like. It's been a snivelling, quivering wretch of a thing. Yeah. The Apprentice is back. It's back. On BBC One. Wednesdays at nine on BBC One. I think... what Just thinking think of TV, you know, there was that ludicrous documentary that was made about QPR. Was it the four-year plan? I missed this. You see this? No, I, that's why I said I missed oh, right. this. I thought you, uh, you completely missed it. 
yeah, so, so you know, some some people followed QPR behind the scenes uh, during the uh, the reign of uh, what was his name, the Italian guy, the F one guy. I can't uh, remember what his name is now. Uh, this gets me. Briatori. Briatori. Uh, Briatori. Uh And just all of the nonsense and kind of what it, you know, kind of exposed just some of the... Briatori. <laughs> Briatori. Someone needs to make a behind-the-scenes documentary about the ECB, don't they, really? It has to happen. I, I hope it's happening. Maybe it's happening already. Yeah. You know, I'm imagining some kind of cross between, like, the thick of it and, and, and the office, you know. Just kind of, like, bumbling incompetence. Charles Clark is a regular Malcolm Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, needs to be done. Well, maybe we should go in there with some hidden cameras. Yeah, or if you just write the script. I'll see if I can get a job like on the front desk at ECB, at ECB Towers. Here's the sitcom we should write. Around. Say that again, Giles, but just into my hat. <laughs> Here's the script we should write, and you can cut this because we don't want other people to see it. Should we write a script about a, a sitcom based on a sports administrator? <laughs> <laughs> a governing body. I think that's actually quite a good idea. Who do you see in the lead role? I don't know, really. Don't say yourself. No, no definitely not myself. No, but like kind of either like a FIFA, ICC, ECB sort of thing. Yeah, it's probably quite a good idea. Yeah. To be fair, you know, a lot of people hate FIFA, don't they? So yeah, uh, a parody of the ECB. Uh, so next week we're going to talk about some cricket. I'm going to think now that this whole neighbours escapade is finished. We are, yeah. What do you mean neighbours? Well, some you know, soap opera. Oh, I see. EastEnders would have been where I would have gone, but well, I couldn't think of any South African. Soap operas. So you went for an Australian one because that's pretty close. Yeah, it's only about eight thousand miles in between <laughs> or something. Um, yes, we are going to talk about some cricket next week, aren't we? We're going to bring back World Cup watch. Talk about these these one day series that have been going on: India, West Indies, and Pakistan, Australia. Um, so there should be a lot to talk about actually next week because a lot of cricket has been happening in the interim. Uh, if you enjoy the World Cricket Show, then you may like to find us on the internet. Write a review for us on iTunes. We really appreciate all of those. It does help us out. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash cricket show. Hit the like button there. Follow us on Twitter. The show account is at cricket show. I'm at Adam Bayfield12 and Tony is at Tony Cover. You can follow me on Instagram as well. Yes, it's Adam Bayfield. Yes! It's Adam Bayfield. <laughs> and send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Uh, it's all kicking off for the World Cricket Show, isn't it, Tone? It's going to be a big winter. We had a, pro- we had a production meeting the other Very day. Very brief, but it was Skype. good. Uh, so we should be right on top of everything now, as I'm sure listeners can imagine. We then went from that the next day to the pub quiz. We've got ourselves embroiled in another pub quiz. Uh, I'm sure listeners will remember how annoyed we got with the pub quiz we did earlier in the year, so we thought, hey, let's, let's do it again. Do another one. Another, well, it's an eight-week quiz. Yeah, we got trounced on Monday night. Yeah, this week we didn't, do, we didn't do well this week. But the previous week, we were leading it halfway. Uh, and threw it away. When they, when they announced the standings at the halfway mark and we were top by like three or four points, you could see everyone on our team just getting visibly excited. You <laughs> could see in people's eyes their images of what they were going to spend that money on. Uh, and yeah, then we faded badly in the second half and finished second. Joint second, I think it was. Yeah, wasn't pretty it? poor. Very poor. So, um, so yeah, well, hopefully things will go a bit better next week. But anyway, that is it. Stay in school, everybody. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Are you going to read that book at all? Yeah, time? I'm going to finish it. <laughs> what do you mean by <laughs> No, I've read about three of the chapters. By finish, you Four mean? Four of the chapters. Have, have you actually read yeah. the chapters? Yeah, I read. Which ones did I read? I read... 
Did you not read chapter one, chapter two, chapter three? No. I read Flower as in Dower. I also read Do's and Don'ts of Texgate and Le Grand Fromage. Obviously, I went for the ones that obviously signposted things I'd heard about in the media. Yeah, so just reread those quotes that you'd already <laughs> seen in The Guardian. Okay, well, that's it from us. So, um, right, I guess all that's left to do is to start from page one. Chapter one, Fred. There's an old joke about a mother watching a column of soldiers pass by. Her son is in the ranks. All those men out of step, she says, except our Fred. I don't know if my mum ever thinks something similar, but I do know that if I was in the trenches, I'd want Fred at my side. I don't mind... Are you, are you fading me down? Don't fade me down. I've got 300 pages to oh, go, Oh, come Tony. on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a doer at times. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. Each day, each year, year, year. I can smell your fear. First of all, let's look at the front cover. What do you think of that? Well, it's a picture of Kevin Peterson, <laughs> isn't it? What do you make of that? Yeah. When I had it then, I had it a few times in a row, but I've not had it since then. But what? But when, <laughs> almost knocked over my glass of water. My face. My face there. <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked more panicked. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to move that glass. Uh, but whenever I've had tonsillitis before... Who's out there? No, just, just quite fit. So okay. carry on. This is the cleaner. Okay. Did you go quite fit? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. You better hope I cut that out. Yeah. That's a, another book reference, isn't it? It's Stop good. looking at the attractive cleaner out there. <laughs> it's quite distracting. <laughs> it really is. Okay. Can we sort sides? Anyway, enough about that. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just going to move it up. Just keep, 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 just keep, keep it, it pace fresh, up. Keep, keep it fresh, keep it fresh. He's still got, I think he's still scored the most test rounds of an England batsman kind of between like 2008 and 2013. He was, you know, as he was kind of, his career was tailing off. You know, certainly a big loss. It's sad. It is sad. I'm sad. I'm a sad man. <laughs> a lot of people say that about me, actually. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.